0: But today, we're continuing in our series, Songs. For life This summer, we've been trying to give you a new anthem, right? Through the Psalms, we've been looking at five different Psalms to help you have a new anthem for the summer of 2020. We got lots of things screaming at us. We need something to scream back at it, right? And so the Psalms are giving us a way to do that. And so I hope you've navigated through those over the last several weeks. This morning, we jump into Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 calls us to do something that I think in a way we've been doing all week long right? And that is to respond. We've been responding to things all week long, right? We've responded to the reintroduction of professional sports, all right? I've been pretty excited about that, but let's be real, it's kind of weird, right? We've, we've responded to the decisions of school boards who have made some more definitive plans about the start of the school year, We've responded to the voice of politicians who have said things that we liked some of them and some of the things we didn't like. We've responded to how the coronavirus is continuing to uh, wreak havoc in many ways in our world in different ways and on different levels and for different reasons. And we've responded to a whole lot of things. And some of us have done that by using our voice and different platforms that we have to express our voice. And some of those have been pretty helpful ways and maybe some of them not so much, but, but we have responded to a lot of different things over the last week, right? Because we're always responding to things. We're always, every single day, we're responding to things. Some things we respond positively to and some things we respond negatively to, right? When there's a positive response, when we're excited about something that we see or hear, right, we clap, We sing, we dance, we holler, we scream, right? The absence of that is what's making this comeback of professional sports so weird. Fake fans aren't real fans, okay? And if you've watched it at all, it's really weird. Fake crowd noise is not the same thing as real crowd noise. I don't care how many cool apps there are to participate, right, it's not the same. It feels weird because there's the absence of this excitement and this celebration. There's the absence also in there of people that really don't like a call right? People that are mad at the refs. We don't see the angry response in person either the same way. But I will tell you, we see a lot of the angry response if we just kind of look around us and how people are responding to the things that they're hearing and seeing. And the presence of that negative response, quite honestly, is why I deleted most of the social media apps on my phone this week because I was tired of it, right? We're always responding to things. We're always responding to things every single day. Some of those things are positive and some of those things are negative, including in my life, right? I've gotten angry this week in response to things. Maybe a couple times it was my kids I've gotten angry in response to their disobedience or their ignorance of, of what I've told them to do or how they've treated one of their siblings. I've gotten angry about news that I've received, the things that disrupted my comfort and my own design and desires for the world. Those things have made me angry. I've gotten upset about those things. But I've also, on the flip side, responded really positively to some things that have happened in my life. I've gotten really excited a couple times. right, I've gotten very excited. I watched my, my two sons play a baseball game on the same team. One of them pitched through a one hitter. The other one was the catcher and one of them hit his first over the fence home run. I was thrilled. Man, I was standing up, I was screaming, I was clapping. I looked at my wife, I said, babe, we're going to get ice cream tonight. Right? I was just so excited about it because I've responded positively to things in my life this week too. We've responded to a million different things. And in Psalm 95, what we find is a call from God for those who follow Jesus to respond. Specifically, we're described as needing to respond. or We ought to respond by singing with joy. To sing with joy. And so we're going to pick up in Psalm 95 this morning. Verse 1, I want to read verse 1 through 7. We're going to look at the whole thing. But I want to begin by looking at Psalm 95, verse 1 through 7. It says this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, For the Lord is a great God, the King above all gods. And in his hand are the depths of the earth. Heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture the sheep of his hand. Here in the first part of Psalm 95, we find the psalmist gives us a word on worship, a word on worship. And it takes this form. He basically says to us very directly, he says, come to God and sing with joy because of what God has done. He says, come to God and sing with joy because of what God has done. This is his word that he gives us on worship. Now, kids that are in the room, I know there's many today in our family room watching online. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a second and I want you to actually draw a picture, maybe of a couple people, might be stick figures. They might be more elaborate people if you're a little bit older and draw them with their hands up, with big smiles on their faces, like they're singing with joy to God. Because this is what the psalmist does in Psalm 95. He says that we ought to come to God and sing with joy because of what God has done. He says, to come. It's this verb he uses three different times in the beginning of Psalm 95, in verse one in verse two and in verse six. All three verbs are actually different in the original language, but they're translated for us, to come. Because he's calling us to move toward or to meet with or to embrace or to engage with God, And I think part of the reason he says this three different times in three different ways is because it's the recognition that not every single one of us is coming from the same place. I want you to think about this for a second, right? Everyone, whether in this room or watching online this morning, whether in your family room or in this auditorium, you actually came to this gathering today from a different place. You had different experiences in your homes this morning. You had different experiences in your work, or maybe you're, you're, you're seeking to find work this past week. You had different experiences in your family over the past month. Some have been joyful experiences of more time together, some have been terrible experiences maybe the loss of a loved one or pain and turmoil in a relationship. We all come to this place from different experiences from different places. And the call to come and worship is one that recognizes that we come from different places, from different experiences. But there's one singular focus of all those calls to come, which is to worship. He says to come and to worship or to sing or make joyful noise, to do so with joy. This idea of joy that he introduces in verse one and in verse two, again, two different words because he's emphasizing the importance of having joy when we respond to God. When we come to meet with God, he's saying we ought to do so with joy. The first word he uses, it's 100 times we find it in 53 verses in the Old Testament. The word he uses for joy in the second verse, used 60 times in 30 verses in the Old Testament, all to emphasize this idea of worshiping or responding to or coming to God with joy. In our lips. A song of joy is what he calls us to. And as he pushes us towards this, it leaves us, I think, with a question of where joy is found in our own lives. Now, before I bring that question any further to us today, let me just tell you some experience I've had in my life where I have been hit with the reality that it is not present enough. Uh, There was a grocery store uh, that my wife and I often went to in North Carolina where we used to live. And there was this one guy, one of the baggers, a cart guy there. And and he used to annoy the fire out of me, right? I would get so annoyed with him. Unfortunately, the reality is because he was so nice, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced those people, but they're just like over the top nice about everything. And so the moment you walk in, it's, hey, how you doing? It's great to see you today. Hope you're having a wonderful day. And I'm like, I'm not, don't ask me. Right? You, you've had that experience maybe, right? He always had to have the last word and it was always positive. It was always encouraging. It was always uplifting. And when he was the bag guy, he would always double bag every bag of groceries. I'm like, why are you? Well, because he cared about me so much. He didn't want me to drop something and have a bag broken and not be able to get it home conveniently, comfortably, easy, the way that I wanted to. This dude was over the top with his kindness. And I remember walking out one day being so annoyed with it. And I asked the question, Stephen, why are you so annoyed about this? And I began to think, and what hit me is, is that this dude had something that of all people in the world, as a Christ follower, I should have. He had joy. He had joy. This was a guy working as a bag guy, a cart guy at a local grocery store. I had a full-time job, living relatively comfortable with my wife and kids. I had a roof over my head. I had a car to get me to and from places. I had plenty of food to eat. I was able to take care of my kids relatively well. It was working out pretty good. And and I didn't have the kind of joy that he had. Obviously, joy is not something that comes from our circumstances then. Because how many people with a whole lot of stuff are lacking joy? Joy is something that we're called as followers of Christ to respond to God by singing with joy. To shout with joy. To make joyful noise with our lips. And here we're introduced to this idea of joy ought to be the response of what we see God doing. And now here's what I want to pause and ask this morning. As we look at Psalm 95, let me just ask real quick this morning, how are we doing with this church? Being being a joyful people, being a people whose lips are laced with joy and grace. You know, sometimes I think we're so, we're more worried about the sound of our voice than we are the voice of our heart. We're more worried at times about the decibels in the sound system than we are the depth of our worship. Church, I think it's time for us maybe to stop critiquing everything around us and maybe start looking at the critique of our own heart and our lack of joy. You know, we are using our voice for a lot of things every day. And it takes a lot of forms. Sometimes it comes out like this. Sometimes it comes out like this or like this. We're using our voice in a lot of different ways every single day. We're giving our voice to our sports teams. We're giving our voice to response to what what what, what a political person, a politician does or a public servant does. We're giving our voice to, to our kids. We're giving our voice to a whole lot of things. We're giving our voice to things all day long. And I want you to think for a second, how much breath, how much energy, how many keystrokes did you give this past week? to all those other things. And how much breath and energy have you given to the Lord to sing with joy in the last month? Church, God has called us to be a joyful people. It's not a question of whether or not we have a voice. And is the only thing we should ever do with our voice is sing, No. Should we ever use our voice to speak about other things happening around us? Absolutely. But if that out, if that the the volume of that is far louder than our voice of singing with joy, then something is out of balance. We give our voice to a lot of things. And I can tell you, church, that the world's listening. What are we giving our voice to? You know, the beauty of Psalm 95, as is often the case in the Bible, is he doesn't just leave us going, yeah, I get that, sing with joy. All right, come to God and sing with joy. But but why? Well, Psalm 95 answers that question. It says that we ought to come to God and sing for joy because the greatness of God because of what God has done, because of the way that he's moving. When you look at creation and you see the leaves blowing in the wind, right? It's not a botany study, it's a beauty study of the Savior. When we look at creation, we ought to be moved to sing with joy. When we see God at work and the people around us, we ought to be moved to respond by singing with joy. We ought to be a joyful people, seeing the greatness of God on display, seeing the movement of God happening around us, seeing the personal nature of the God who made us and loves us. That ought to lead us to sing with joy. He gives us the answer to the question of why would I be somebody that sings with joy when everything in my world is so bad? Because of God. Because of God, because of what God is doing, not because of what we have done, not because of what others are doing, but because of what God has done, we can sing with joy. And the Bible calls us to this type of response. It calls us to this type of response. I think sometimes we are so caught up with, with the screen in front of us that we miss this beautiful thing that God is doing around us. I mean, help me understand this. How is the earth tilted at just the right angle, moving at just the right speed, at just the right distance from the sun? (laughs) Only God. How does does a a cloud filled with moisture drop that on the ground in order to replenish the earth at just the right time, fill up rivers and streams and oceans and ponds and lakes only to be evaporated back up into the sky, captured by those clouds and let down again at just the right time to replenish the earth? How does that happen? Only God. Uh, Think about this for a second. I'm not sure how this happens. How does a brown cow eat green grass, produce white milk while living in a red barn. I don't know, but only God, only God. when we look at creation, we have so many things that ought to show us the handiwork of God on display, but so often we miss them. You know, he gives us a word on worship. The psalmist gives us a word on worship and this is the summary of it. Come to God and sing with joy because of the work of God. Come to God and sing with joy because of the work of God. Psalm 95 continues though. And in the end of verse seven, it picks up this way. He says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, God says, I loathe that generation and said that they are a people who go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You know, the first half of Psalm 95 is this word on worship that the psalmist gives us to come to God, to sing with joy because of the work of God. The second half of Psalm 95, he gives us a word of warning, a word of warning. And it takes this form of a warning to not be arrogant, to not be ignorant, and ultimately to not be absent. He begins with this strong language. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, hardening of hearts is this really extreme expression that sometimes maybe when we read or hear, we could go, man, that sounds a bit extreme. Really? Like, just because I don't see, man, God's name written in the clouds, does that mean I have a hard heart? I mean, just because when the, when the leaves turn up and they're a different color or when they change colors in the fall and I don't recognize, man, that's the handiwork of God. Does that really mean I have a hard heart? Is it really a hard heart just because I don't necessarily always agree with what God is doing? Well, according to Psalm 95, that's exactly what it means. And so he uses very extreme language here to give a warning of their arrogance and their ignorance. He says, don't be like your fathers, their generation, because what they did, you know what they did? They, 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 they had these events that took place in these two specific places that he talks about in this warning. One is Meribah, which is named that because the word means quarreling or fighting, arguing. <laughs> What would they call America? They, they use this other place called Massa, which is the idea, it's the, the word that means testing. And so what he's saying here is that your fathers, the previous generation, what they did is they were fighting about everything and then they were testing God to see if he was real and legit and actually with them. And the result of that is that they were arrogant because they were, this was driven by their belief that they knew better than God and better than one another. And so they just fought about everything. They tested God. And he said, no, 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 this this is a hardness of heart that was showing itself in the form of arrogance. But he goes on and he says that this also took the form of ignorance, because not only were they saying that they knew better than God, they were actually looking with their eyes at crazy cool things that God was doing and going, nah, we're good. I mean, it says right here in Psalm 95, it says that, That they put him to the proof, though they had seen the work of God. They saw the work of God with their eyes. How many of us would love to see God work with our eyes? They saw the work of God. And they went, ah, we still need to test them. I'm not sure if it's legit. They were ignorant of the things that God was doing right in front of them. And the outcome of this hardness of heart that showed up in arrogance... And ignorance was ultimately their absence from the Lord. That's why he says, I loathed that generation for 40 years. Who did? God did. He loathed their parents' generation for 40 years because they had strayed away in their hearts. And ultimately, he says, therefore, I swore in my wrath. God's saying this, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest The hardness of heart that took the form of arrogance and ignorance led to their absence from God for eternity. A brokenness of their hearts that could not be healed. Brokenness. Maybe some of you adults need to do this too, but for sure the kids in the room. I want you to do this for a second. Watching online, draw a picture of a broken heart, a heart into two pieces maybe a sad face over top of it because it was in God's wrath that their hard, broken, calloused hearts would be separated from him forever in a real place that the Bible calls hell. Because of the hardness of their hearts, that took the form of arrogance, and ignorance, these people would be absent from God for eternity. The closest they would ever get to him was this earth. There is a working that God is doing that I think oftentimes we are so ignorant of. In Psalm 95, we see that there is a word on worship to come to God and sing with joy because of the great work that God has done. There's this word of warning to not be arrogant and ignorant, having a hardness of heart that leads to an absence from God for eternity. What's beautiful is that we see that the entirety of Bible is actually connected to itself. If you flip over pretty far to the second half of the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, we actually find two entire chapters of the Bible dedicated to helping us understand what Psalm 95 means. Literally, Hebrews chapter three and four are a commentary on Psalm 95. They help us understand what it means that they shall not enter the rest. It helps us understand what it means to see the greatness of God and to come to him in worship. They help us understand all of what Psalm 95 says. And I wanna focus for just a moment on the last several verses, beginning in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter four. It says this, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that rest that they couldn't get, that they wouldn't get. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Same as who? Same as the father's generation that they were talking about in Psalm 95. For the word of God is living, active, It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Verse 14, since then, we have a great high priest In Hebrews chapter three and four serve as this commentary to set up for us an understanding, a word on the word of God, a word on God's word. It's a word on God's word here that is really a completion of Psalm 95 for us. And here's what we find in it, that the word of God exposes a hidden heart. The word of God actually exposes, a, I'm sorry, a hardened heart, a hardened heart. And that the word of God simultaneously, and these things seem like they don't fit together, but they do, enables us to sing with joy. The, the word of God exposes a hard heart, but it also enables us to sing with joy. And the reason it exposes us and it exposes who we really are, it exposes a hard heart, is because the word of God is kind of like a mirror, right? It's kind of like a mirror. Uh, kids, I want you to draw a picture, real quick. Draw a picture of this, of a person looking into the Bible a person looking at the Bible because the word of God serves that way. It serves as a mirror for us. In James chapter one, it says that the Bible functions as a mirror because when we look in it, we see the perfect law of God when we read these words, the perfect law of God. And when we see that perfect law of God, what it does is it exposes the reality of who we really are. It shows us the truth, the reality of who we really are. All of our flaws, all of our failures are brought to life because it says that it's living and active. And so it's able to discern between even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It's able to pierce between things we didn't even know could be separated. And so as it does that, it speaks to all of life. And as the word of God speaks to all of life, it shows us the reality of who we are, exposing the heart and heart that is all of our nature. But... The word of God also enables us. It enables us, as the writer of Hebrews says, to enter with confidence to the throne of grace where God himself is seated so that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need, that we can actually go near to God. The word of God enables us to approach him with confidence and not just like in this timid, scared way, but no, with confidence to go in and to sing with joy. Because of God and who he is and what he's done, it calls us to a response. And so while the, God, while the word of God exposes our weaknesses, it enables our worship. It enables our worship. And as we understand all of the Bible, if you were to flip back, you don't have to, but to John chapter one, we're reminded that Jesus is the living word of God, that God took his word and it put on flesh and it came and lived in our neighborhood. Right? that he came and lived among us. And that when he did, he actually, when we look at the life of Jesus, he exposes our weakness because he lived a life that none of us could live. He lived a perfect life, a flawless, sinless life. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we cannot help but be exposed in all of our weaknesses, in all of our failures, in all of our vain accomplishments. We look at Jesus, we see the reality of who we are. We're exposed, but the beauty is is that by the perfect life of Jesus, we have our weaknesses exposed and our sin exposed. By the death of of Jesus being, being pinned to a cross, nailed to a cross to take the punishment for our sin, being put in a real grave for three days, rising up from the grave, and then now being back at the right hand of the throne of God, proclaiming on our behalf, who could enter in, we are now enabled to worship. We're not just exposed for our weaknesses by Jesus, we're enabled to worship, to sing with joy because of the work of Jesus. And I can tell you then, if this is true, this is what it means that joy in our lives is found in direct proportion to our view of the magnitude of the work of God through Jesus Christ. The joy in our lives is in direct proportion, direct proportion to our view of the magnitude of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Jesus exposes our reality weakness. Jesus enables our ability to worship and sing with joy. Because here's what happens. If we focus on anything else, we get crushed under the weight of it because our vain accomplishments will lead us to demise when when their glory runs out. Our failures will lead us to demise because we'll dig a hole and bury ourselves or somebody else will for us. But when our, when our eyes are focused on the works of our hands, the works of others, the accomplishments of our kids, our bank account, all of these things, when they're focused on somebody else's decision-making ability, when we focus on the work of another, we will be crushed under the weight of it. But according to the Bible in Psalm 95, when we focus on the work of God, we are enabled to worship and sing with joy because of the work of God. When we focus on ourselves, we will be crushed. When we focus on the Lord, we will be raised. Recently, I read um, a book. It's like a historical book written by a guy named Clint Hill. He, he served um, under five different presidents as a secret service agent, specifically on the presidential detail. The book's called Five Presidents. It's not a PG book because it explains a lot of things that he experienced and went through. And so um, I wouldn't necessarily invite everybody to to take it but I was fascinated by the history of it and so I began to explore this book well in it he recounts some of the details of what happened in November of 1963 when President John F. Kennedy was shot at the time he was uh, he was given to his responsibility was the lead security detail for Jackie Kennedy and so he was riding along on the trail car, the car right behind the convertible that they were sitting in on the running board, watching and scanning the crowd and doing his job as he had done every single day at that point. At the moment, he, what he describes, he heard an explosion. He turned his head to where he thought it had come from, immediately turning his head back to the president to see the president grab his throat and fall to the left. He immediately responded. He jumped into action and he went and he jumped and he draped himself over the bodies of John F. Kennedy and his wife, Jackie. Before he had gotten there, two more shots had rung out, both hitting the president. Ultimately, that would be uh, the end of John F. Kennedy on this earth as we knew it. That day he would later die. He recounts in this book and interviews since how the horror of that day, what he experienced and saw in the back of that convertible, the wailing of Jackie Kennedy. He experienced Misery that day, and he recounts the weight of remembering those circumstances. Some 40 years later or so, he was interviewed and asked this question: Do you ever think about that day, Clint? His response, every day since. He said, I only wish I had been a little bit quicker, just one second quicker. You know, Clint Hill would later retire from the Secret Service after serving under five presidents. He would isolate himself in the basement of his house, away from his kids and wife, drunk himself into oblivion, all because of the weight, the experience of that day. He was crushed under the weight of it. He would later work his way out of that stupor that he had lived in for several years by some therapy of writing memoirs of his experiences. But still to this day, Clint would say that he lived under the weight of those moments. He lived crushed under the weight of his decisions that day. He lived crushed under the weight of what he wished he had done that day. Church, hear me really clearly. When we are focused on the work of our hands, we will be crushed under the weight. We will be crushed under the weight of our works. And this is why Psalm 95 says, turn your attention." Not like your father's generation did where they were arrogant, looking at themselves or ignorant, focusing on their works. No, turn your attention to the work of God, the greatness of him seen ultimately in Jesus and his work on the cross. See the work of God in that place. See the work of God in our world and respond by singing. With joy. We will be crushed under the weight of our works if that's all we ever focus on. But when we shift our attention to see the beauty of God in creation, the power of God in changing lives, the movement of God in our church and our community, the work of God when nothing else says that it's happening, God is at work. And when we focus on that, we are led to a place where we can worship God, that we can sing with joy, not, not just filled with happiness, filled with joy, singing at the top of our lungs. And I will tell you that there is only one way to this joy that the Bible talks about, and it's through the one who exposes our weakness and enables our worship, the man, the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to ask, I want to ask you this. You know, there's, there's two groups of people in the room today, those that have have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who have seen the work of Jesus on the cross and have responded to it and have trusted in him for their salvation to be with God forever. To you, I would say today, to us, I would say today, then may our voice get louder and not about the things happening around us, but about the things that God is doing in us, about the things that God has done through Jesus, May our voice get louder, may our song be filled with joy. For those who haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, can I tell you that there is a place where joy is found and it is not in this world. It is in seeing the work of Jesus who lived a life we couldn't live but yet died a death that all of us deserve to take a punishment for us that we might not be separated from God forever, free from his rest, but rather entering into that rest forever by trusting and believing in the work of Jesus Christ. And here's what I would say to you today, if that's you, or if you think that might need to be you, if you're in the room here, we'd love to talk with you. And the next steps, connect booth, all that. If you're in the room or online, here's what you can do. A simple thing. Text the word Jesus. 615-551-9800. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to help you find him. We're going to help you stop living your life and you're losing your breath to breed strife and start using your breath to give life. We we want to introduce you to this Jesus who brings joy. So text us and let us follow up with you. Church, Psalm 95 gives us a word on worship, to come to God, to sing with joy because of the work of God. So my hope and my prayer is that we would see the work of God in creation, in Jesus, and that we would be a people whose voice is far louder because we've seen him, because we've tasted and seen that he is good. And that voice would be a voice of joy. Our world needs it. Our, vo- our world needs a voice of joy. It ought to come from us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the way that you are at work, the way that your spirit moves in us among us, around us, and Lord, whether or not we get it, it's happening. And so I pray this morning, in these moments, God, that you would stir in us who follow and trust in Jesus a sense of joy that would not be mustered up, It it wouldn't be created, this isn't a factory, but God, you are a person who changes us to give us joy, and so may we look to you and find joy. May we see the work of God and find joy. May we look to the one who exposes our weaknesses and enables our worship, Jesus Christ, and be a people filled with joy. And may our song ever resound in this world. And God, for those in this room, those watching online who need the joy that only comes from Jesus, God, would you break hearts Would you you bring discomfort that it might draw them to you? Would you enlighten their mind? Would you open their eyes? Would Would you begin to burn in their heart? And would they see that a sense of that is the working of the Spirit? And would they run to the place where joy is found in Jesus? God, you move in us. May that movement produce joy forever. Joy. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. You know, as we close in just a moment here, we're gonna have a chance to respond to what it is that God's doing. And here's what I would tell you. Believer in the room, those of you that follow Jesus, those watching online in our family room, I wanna ask you during these moments, the first moment of this, I want you to reflect, where is your voice being used? Where is it being heard? And what is being heard? Is it a, is it, is it a voice of joy <laughs> because of the work of Jesus? And if it's not, Repent. Repent and turn to God who hasn't turned from you. And then let's sing with joy. (laughs) You know, the Bible says that literally that he is enthroned, that he's seated, that he lives, that he dwells on the praises of his people. And so we talk a lot about living sin around here, right? You wanna know one of the ways to live sin? It's not just a conversation about Jesus, it's the praises of his people because Jesus is seen when we praise God with joy. And so I want to invite you to live sent in this moment, to live sent in this week, to live sent in this season of outrage, to live sent in this season with songs of joy proclaimed and shouted from your lips. May it be a joyful noise that comes from us. And I will tell you that when we do, we live sent. Have the conversation with your neighbor. But don't waste your song. You know, our songs or planting a garden. What's growing in yours? What's growing in yours? Your voice is seeds scattered in the world. What's growing in that garden? <laughs> I pray that it is joy that's growing. I pray that it's Jesus that's growing. I pray that it is people who are finding life because you're breathing life and not breeding strife. I pray that it is joy that's rising up. So church, let's do this. Let's stand. If you're here in this room online, in our family room, let's stand together. Let's remember the work of Jesus and let's be a people who sing with joy. And if you don't know him, you listen to the praises of his people because he's there. He is there. Let's worship our Lord.